Hello everyone and welcome back to the 343 Football Podcast. As always, it's your host Jaffa and I'm joined by the wonderful trio of Qudama, Ali and Daoud. Is everyone doing alright? Yeah, not bad. How are you? Yes, guys. Yeah, yeah. How's everybody? Not too bad. So I know Daoud will be very chippy after winning the trivia round last week, the very first edition that we did. So let's see if, if he can go for a 2-0 scoreline against the lads or will somebody get it this week? So since it's going to be a Champions League themed discussion, given the four matches that have happened this week, I'm going to give you guys a Champions League trivia question. So we all know that Erling Haaland is the fastest player to reach 20 Champions League goals, doing so in 14 matches. But which player did he beat? Who's got the second best record? Who's the Harry second Kane. fastest? Harry Kane. Oh, ah. He beat me to it, Harry Kane, yeah. Didn't even uh, finish the question, but to be honest, yeah. it was very relevant trivia. So if somebody hadn't seen that, we got been surprised. That is the correct answer. The graphic going around on Instagram, to be fair. Yeah, and then is that, yeah. was that Kodama with the correct answer? If I'm not it mistaken. was indeed. No, we got that first, yeah. It's the equaliser. Pressure's on for Ali, because next week it's going to be, you need to get on the score sheet as well, on the trivia. That's all good. Well, who no can, name, who can name the youngest ever scorer in the Champions League? I'll ask you is that. Celestine Vabioro was rinse maker. Can't remember, to be honest. Uh, I feel like Celestine Babiero's got one no, of those Champions League records. It was broken this season. I'm pretty sure. This season? Am I wrong? It was, yeah. This season? I can't think. It was broken this season. Is it Mukoku or Jude? Uh, Bellingham? Bellingham, someone like that. No, it's uh, Ansu Fati. Really? Oh. Damn. That's pretty impressive, to be honest. Wait, is he? Okay. Yeah. He beat Cesc Fabregas, so none of you guys were even right. Actually, that's not true. He beat Peter Afori Kai. Are you so, looking that up? Because that's a name I've never heard of. No, I've never heard <laughs> of I'm making sure that Ansu is, Ansu is first. And Ansu is is the uh, youngest ever scorer. But there's some uh, interesting names on that list, like in the top five or so. You know, Bojan Kurcic, you know, the next Messi dub. He was on that list, you know, fourth or fifth. Fabregas oh, okay. is in there as well. Kovacic. Oh, it's a, a lot of uh, hit, hit and misses there, especially with hearing the name Bojan Kurcic. But in terms of the trivia, um, you know, Ali doesn't need to worry too much because the props he's going to get is for predicting that Porto was going to get the upper hand on Juventus. Now, when, when he got it right for the first leg, I was kind of thinking, OK, yeah, fair enough. It's just one match. Juve will do it in the second leg. But his overall prediction turned out to be right because it was probably one of the most dramatic Champions League matches in a really long time. And in, in this era of playing without crowds where there's a certain sense of like, you know, the, the matches aren't as hyped because there's no, no ultras going wild. There's no fans and the occasion isn't what it could be. But that match was so engrossing. It really felt like one of those classic Champions League nights. And, you know, Porto was going to be buzzing. I mean, they lost on the night. It was 3-2 after extra time. But, of course, throw on the away goals rule, which is always probably the most dramatic way you can go through in the Champions League. Um, I imagine we all watched that game very with a lot of intrigue. So I, I'd like to come to Ali first. Um, tell me what you thought about the Porto performance and, uh, you know, particularly the high in, uh, highlighting someone like Pepe, a 30-year-old centre-back playing the game of his life pretty much on the night. Man, that guy. You know when you talk about the Great War of China, man, you got to create the Great War of freaking Portugal. Man, he was just uh, defending everything. He was he had so many clearances, and his head must be freaking rock solid, just, you know, heading everything away, getting those clearances away. Like, like there was passion behind it, and I kind of think Pepe missed that while, in his later years in Madrid. Obviously, it's been revived whilst he's at Porto. And yeah, um, Juve won the game. Porto went through. What happened was, I remember Porto getting the first goal because Dowd and Kadama actually heard me like, scream it. I went, 
I went Golazo. Like, I, I just went nuts. I was like, right, Porto winning this again. And I was quite happy, not just because of Porto doing well and I predicted it, but be, be honest with you, Juventus are just a failure in the Champions League, like Barcelona, like Manchester United, like those other clubs. You know, this reminds me of like Mourinho back in the day when he was at Porto and it kind of haunted Ronaldo. And I kind of enjoyed that. You know, I like the underdog story and Porto deserve all the credit they get, really. You know, they had a tough, the time against Manchester United in the group stages, but the quality was short against the Bianconeri. No, of course. I mean, I was really happy for them as well. There's there's that Sir Bobby Robson connection that makes Newcastle United fans and Porto fans pretty much uh, quite like each other. Um, so it was it was definitely a deserved victory for them. Well, talking about a victory overall. Um, but what do you guys think about the Kodama? Uh, I'll come to you on this one. The Mediterranean red card. Like, were you thinking, especially because Kiesa scored 10 minutes after that red card, were you thinking that was it? Like, it was game over when, when that happened? Yeah, I mean, Juventus aren't the most free-scoring team in Europe this season. You know, they're struggling domestically. But you still back them, with you know, especially with Cristiano Ronaldo. I thought the floodgates would open when the red card happened. And it was quite surprising to see, uh, you know, them struggle to score against 10 men, given that they had so much time to do it. The red card itself was pretty comical. I mean, I don't know what, it, what... He's just absolutely lost the plot. The kind of thing that if you saw your player do that on Football Manager, you'd find him two weeks without a second thought. It's just absolutely bizarre like to kick the ball away when you know you're on a second yellow and then pretend that he didn't hear the referee's whistle. It was just, uh, <laughs> just absolutely bizarre. So you don't think it was genuine? You don't think like he was actually genuinely trying to like get get the keeper off the line? Catch the keeper? No, definitely not. Surprised definitely off the line, not. Sorry, yeah. Oh, I, I don't know why. I, in real time, I thought actually it was fair game. I've seen people do worse. Even more time has elapsed since the, the whistle has gone and they've kicked the ball away. The only time I've ever bought it was when Robin Van Persie claimed he didn't hear the referee's whistle when he got sent off at the Emirates um, Arsenal against oh, that was an Barcelona, if you guys remember sure. that. But in an empty stadium, you know, it's kind of hard to sell the referee the idea that you didn't hear his whistle when, you know, there's no crowd noise. So well, I, I yeah, even, I doubt yeah, it was a, it was a genuine attempt to chip the keeper. Like, but um, yeah, I mean, the performance by Cristiano Ronaldo was particularly uh, disappointing. I mean, ten men for about was it an, almost an hour really of, of, of football, and he didn't manage to get on the end of anything. I mean, I know he got an assist, but I had a Ronaldo discussion point in the bank, which I was going to save. But since you've brought him up, I might as well get into it because uh, that what I was going to ask you. Like, it's been very noted that Barcelona, who we'll come on to in a moment. Um, have had quite embarrassing Champions League exits in recent years. But when you look at the Juventus record, um, you know, they've been knocked out by Ajax, uh, Lyon and now Porto in three consecutive years. That, that's that's an embarrassment in itself, isn't it? I mean, I'm not pinning it on Ronaldo as such, but you'd think that with such a sort of high-profile transfer, yes, he's not as young as he once was, but surely with a player like him, you, got, you can't be getting knocked out by those three teams three years in a row. I agree, I agree. And um, I think let's, let's talk about this season uh, initially. This season and this game especially, where I know there was a, there was a lot of backwards and forwards with did, did was Ronaldo actually even properly used in the team? Like it was his team even playing around him? He has to be the focal point and everything has to go around him. However, um, actually since he's been there, I don't feel like Ronaldo actually has been the, the main guy that um, Juventus is trying to use or play around or have the team revolve around. I think this was the case today. I genuinely felt like Ronaldo, personally, how I was seeing it, he wasn't utilised enough. He wasn't actually prioritised by the players to to do something about it. And Ronaldo, just just have a look at his uh, last three years of, 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 of in Real Madrid. He was the focal point. It felt like sometimes even the formation was tinkered to ju- just to get the best out, uh, out of Ronaldo. 
I I I don't know what you guys think. I know there was a there's a lot of discussion about it. A lot of people said that he was you know he was just a ghost in the in the match. He was literally doing nothing. And like his his assist was it really assist? It was it was a fortunate touch in front of Chiesa and Chiesa with a lovely finish. I don't know. Um, uh, I'm going to have to disagree quite to quite a large extent here. I think since Ronaldo has come into the Juventus team, it feels like everything is going through him um, solely and not enough in the other uh, aspects of the team. Their midfield, um, you're right, does not provide him with enough service. He's not the you know prime Ronaldo that we saw at Real Madrid. He does need the team, I don't want to say to help him a bit more, but to tailor their style to basically like just play to his strengths now like he, you can see him sometimes getting frustrated as he tries to drop deep but his ball like carrying is, is not what it once was he really should just be a pure poacher I guess now and, and you know taking off free kick duty and all these other auxiliary aspects of you know of the build-up so I mean to say that Ronaldo has been the focal point where when he scored you know 21 league goals in his first season I think 31 last season and now he's got as many goals as games in the league this season as well it's it's almost like there's too much on his shoulders people are expecting him to go there and win the Champions League but he's 36 now and you know as good as Messi and Ronaldo are none of them are good enough now or ever really to win a competition on their own you know as prestigious as, as the Champions League and it yeah he deserves criticism for being you know for putting in a, a quite a poor performance against um, Porto but I don't think the overall failures of the team can be Well, just, to, just talking about the Ronaldo. failure of the team, because I'll, I'll come to the key moment in the in extra time, which was the Sergio Oliveira free kick goal. Ali, when, when you look at that one analytically, where, where do you put the blame? Is it the coaching staff for the poor setup of the wall? Is it Chesney? Is it Ronaldo for the way he turned his back on the free kick? Like, How would you sort of analyse that goal from a blame point of view? Who, who are you blaming? To be honest with you, I don't fucking know. But um, <laughs> really... It's, it, that blame has to go Ronaldo. You know, you put him in that wall in that specific position to block the obviously the free kick. He kind of bottled it. He turned. He turned around. You don't want his beautiful face to get smashed. Let's be honest. <laughs> you know, even though it's plastic surgery, who gives a fuck? He bottled it. You know, like, like, come on. Imagine how Alan Shearer would react to that. He'd be like, "What the fuck? You know, why would he turn around to a free kick? Yeah, he doesn't want to get damaged, but you know that away goal made the difference. And unfortunately, he bottled it. And Kodama said this weeks ago. Ronaldo was a flop at Juventus, and you know, yes, he scored goals, but it looked like it looks like Juventus have actually fell backwards. They, they they're declining. You know, they were back under Allegri twenty fifteen when Pogba was there. Let's be honest. I, I just don't understand um, how they've managed to acquire such an amazing player. You know, and Ronaldo three years ago was a lot different than he once was. He, he just come off the back of a Ballon d'Or win, I think, a Champions League win. The guy was pretty much, you know, like just coming off one of the, his best individual periods of his career, and they they really failed to um, support the team beyond that to challenge for the Champions League. They got rid of one of their like a really good manager, and then the signings they've made since that, you know. Has Ronaldo, like, has that signing hamstrung him to the point that they couldn't uh, bolster the squad? Uh, but you look at how much they're paying wages of, you know, players like Aaron Ramsey, players like Rabio. I mean, like, surely they still had some money to spend. They've just spent it so poorly that they've pretty much just wasted the entire Ronaldo transfer. I mean, that's got to be the most high-profile transfer Italy has seen in years. I think and it's just gone away. It's management, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't think it's... Management. There's been there's been three different coaches since Ronaldo's been here. What are you on about, Dowd? Well, yeah, the, all of them have failed. What, what do you mean? Aguilera, 
what's good? Max Allegri was doing perfect before Ronaldo came. You know, he comes, he goes. You know, then what's he called? The freaking Mr. Smoker. Sorry, comes. You know, you know, has a few fags. Get a little bit stressed out. Mate, sorry, you're sacked. Now you got you know, Pirlo. Yeah, what a quality player. But man, I've got more coaching experience than freaking Pirlo. Well, Come he on, was man. hired for the under twenty three job, wasn't he? And then I know. The yeah. There we go. Yeah, you know, the thing, like, I don't think I, I don't think those, uh, the managers were getting the most out of Ronaldo. You keep saying that, but his numbers individually have been great. Daud, Daud, can you give me an example of this, please? Like I seen an opportunity where Ronaldo could have passed the ball. He took a shot himself. Where you, you if he passed the ball, you I can't could, remember you could who probably it was. Have a YouTube video of a hundred thousand hours. Are you off your trolley? Like, have you took your Daud, Have you took your medication today? I kind of <laughs> I agree with what Daud is saying. Like the failures of Juventus have been more on the management than Ronaldo. Like yeah, Ronaldo. Yeah, but f- there's been three managers, or how? I mean, I mean, like, I mean, Ali, you, you probably Come took on. too much medication because you 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 you're on a high at the moment. I'm what I'm trying to say is, if you let me finish, forget about Ronaldo. The rest of the team are a very good team. The rest of the team, if anything, before Ronaldo came, were was dominating Syria. Okay, the, if anything, they've got a stronger team since then. What? No, I'm gonna have to disagree massively. Yeah, their, their midfield is very average. Their midfield is so painfully average, man. Like, it's no surprise they're struggling domestically. And you know, the Champions League is a pipe dream at the moment for the squad Juventus have. You know, like um, Aaron Ramsey, not good no, enough. Bernadeschi, not good enough. You know, Artur, not good enough. I mean, Rabio, not good enough. Bentancourt, these players are not Champions League caliber. Like, they, okay, they might be Champions League quality, but they're not Champions League winning quality. Like, not in my eyes, never in a million years. Yeah, I mean, definitely the squad, the squad can definitely be improved upon. And I think I feel like those, those players could improve themselves. That's what mm. I think. Not, not, not. Uh, they're not good enough. I think the management point is an astute one, though, because like they've three managers in three years. It doesn't matter how good the managers are. That there's going to be a bit of uh, you know instability there, isn't there? That, that manager will turn over exactly. Like. Allegri, sorry, uh, Perlo, you've got a combination of a clash of styles, uh, a lack of experience. And uh, in terms of Allegri, yes, he's had success there, but obviously things got stale towards the end. They weren't performing very well in his last season, hence the change. So I think Juventus need to focus on building something long-term and stable. And I don't know if Perlo is the answer, if they want to suffer a few years and then maybe he builds a bit of experience and they go again. It might. I feel like if Ronaldo wants one more Champions League win, then the answer is probably going to be Perlo out someone else in. But if Ronaldo's sort of um, in the twilight of his career where he's just happy to do whatever, I, I don't think that's his mentality, to be fair. But if it is, that's the only way I can see Perlo surviving. I feel like he's going to be done by the end of the season. When I look at Cristiano Ronaldo, I see someone who's probably going to be here past uh, World Cup 2022. I think he looks at his uh, rival in Zlatan and the other side of Italy and he says, well, if he could play till 39... And I've been a better player throughout my career than I can surely last till at least 45. Oh, I think that's the mentality Ronaldo definitely. has. I mean, um, it'll be interesting. I mean, there's rumours that, you know, are starting to come out now that like Ronaldo's unhappy at the uh, competitiveness that Juventus offered. Do you guys actually see him leaving or do you reckon he'll see out his contract and then walk? I don't think he'll leave. That, that's my answer. But the thing is, who would take him? The only thing I can see is like a, sort of a, a return to Sporting Club de Portugal or one of those MLS moves where you have just, uh, you know, go for the money. But again, nah, yeah. but he, it's too early for him. So that was a fantastic victory for Porto, uh, you know, going through unexpectedly. And we look forward to seeing who they get in the next round. The other match on the night uh, is one that I'm going to take some uh, disappointment for because I backed Sevilla to go through. And in the end, Dortmund did the job, you know. I, I, the My sort of reasoning 
for Sevilla going through at the time was the Dortmund instability. They obviously sacked Lucien Favre and they've got a temporary manager in charge in Hersic. But to be honest with you, across both legs, they, they were really, really good, especially in attack. And uh, a 2-2 draw on the night, uh, away, uh, you know, through on uh, aggregate 5-4. Haaland, obviously making history, like we mentioned with the trivia question at the start of the show. Um, with Haaland in mind, can you guys see Dortmund potentially reaching the final? Is he that type of player already where he's he's going to be the difference maker regardless of who they come up against? I'll, I'll come to you, uh, Qadama, on this one. I've said it, um, you know, b- before on the podcast, you know, when a team is in a competition, they can still win. It's up in the air and com- competitions are, are so hard to predict. Uh, a player like Haaland could, like, you know, to answer your question, you know, the short answer is yes, he, he is that good already to be able to drag this, uh, you know, above average Dortmund team to, to the final. I don't think they're good enough to win it. I think, you know, if they come up against Bayern Munich, as we saw in the league, it's it's just a, a step too far for them. You know, his, uh, he's good, but he's not as good as Lewandowski at the minute. Um, I would love to see them, though. I, I always love, um, you know, an unconventional finalist. So to see them in the final would be uh, really good. Um, I just don't see them winning it beyond that. But Haaland is definitely, you know, good enough to drag him there for sure. So I feel like we should also talk about a couple of other players in the Dortmund team because Mahmoud Dahoud seems to be in incredible form right now, and Jude Bellingham as well. You know, coming from Birmingham City, very young, he he seems to be dominating on the Champions League stage. Both of them completed the full ninety minutes. Um, you know, uh, Ali, how good do you think that Bellingham and Dahoud are, and are, are they a great supporting cast for the likes of Haaland and Royce? Uh, you know, up front right now, that's what ha- Haaland's got. He has to work with it. They are good, or they world class. Rice is past it, probably. You know, uh, did you see the celebration which he had when Haaland just picked Rice up in the air? Yeah, like a small child. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that's pretty. That's pretty mad. But yeah, you know, Dortmund have got good quality players, but they're just not world class. Um, if Haaland wants to hit the, you know, the pinnacle like Ronaldo, Messi, and what Mbappe is going for, um, he might have to leave Dortmund. But right now. He's, he's, he scores wherever he goes, you know. You you put him in Salzburg, he's scoring goals left, right, and centre, turning Virgil van Dijk inside out. You put him in Dortmund, he he's fucking everyone left, right, and centre. You know, you know, he, he's just a beast. What can he say? But with the supporting cast around him, you could, you know, I'd say it's just like it's just a B. But if you want to be at the top, you need that A star. You need you need world class players around you with a bit more maturity. Yeah, Mahmoud Dowd's a good player, but He's not world class, and neither is Bellingham. Yeah, Bellingham's a good prospect, but he's like 17, 18 years old. Yeah, it's it's almost like you wish that Dortmund could keep their core to see how they develop. But football doesn't really work like that. The moment um, some of these players sort of break out, you know, the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona come sniffing, and especially the Premier League money. I mean, Premier League clubs can like even the average ones can sign the top uh, performing players in the league just because of how much money there is in that league. But in terms of the, the match itself, I mean, you mentioned one funny moment of Haaland picking up Royce, but there was another couple of incidents in this game. What did you guys think of the Dortmund goal that was disallowed, the one where Haaland like, sort of finished acutely from the angle? Was that, was that definitely a foul on the defender from, from that I moment? Didn't think, yeah, though? I mean, it was a shirt pull. It was a shirt pull, I think, by the letter I, I, of the law. That's a foul. Was it, was it a shirt pull? I thought it was he just um, uh, basically made him look like his a, a little bitch. Um, and they both went. Oh, are you talking about? They both. Are you talking about the push or the the it was action that was brought it was back like for a penalty? Push. It was like imagine you you um, actually going full pelt into a massive uh, sumo wrestler and then get it bounced off. It was exactly like that. The defender didn't realize actually who he's up against, uh, uh, propels back off him, and then um, it's a foul. 
How how can Haaland be uh, penalized for being himself? Yeah, I think Qudem is confusing the two incidents. I'm I'm talking about the one where it was like the strength of Haaland on the defender where he scored it from the side. All oh, right, I think yeah, but the thing is, no, no. But if you if you're, um, I know, I, yeah, I know which incident you're talking about. But that was brought back anyway for the penalty. The you know a few minutes before, so I don't think we ever got a you know final verdict on whether that was a foul or not by VAR. So it isn't like by the by the rules of an advantage, right? The fact that they scored a goal should be that that should be the one that counts, and then it doesn't matter whether they should have had a penalty or not because oh, right. they don't have got a goal. So maybe right? that that means they deemed it as that... a foul. Then maybe they deemed that as a foul, and then they brought it back for a penalty. I don't really know anymore, to be honest. Yeah, and then of course it still had to be retaken. I feel like the Dortmund emotions must have been so conflicting when all of that was happening. Uh, VAR can really mess up like the the viewing experience, not from like. Not not in terms of oh the game's gone overreaction I don't want to watch football anymore but just more about the clarity of what's happening and for the fans to understand especially the ones that are in the ground when you know back when that was a thing and then um, you know just a, a quick word on Sevilla I suppose because we're giving a lot of the profiling to Dortmund at the moment um, is this team just sort of if they're in the Europa League they're going to God mode and, and win it but then if in the Champions League their, their limitations are going to show is, is that is that the story of Sevilla? Uh, no, I don't think so. If you, I've actually got the stats up quickly of that game. Um, severe dominated possession. They had more shots. They had more shots on target. They had more corners. They, you know, they pretty much dominated the game. They just can get the goals which you needed to obviously go through. That's what it was really. And when you have a unique talent like Haaland on the other side, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to go against that. Yeah, to be honest, uh, I'm with you as well. I think this is one of those matches where you don't really have to have an extreme opinion on either side yet. I mean, Sevilla, it's no disgrace to be eliminated by one goal in a tie against uh, Dortmund. So, you know, we'll see how they do next year, providing that they qualify for the Champions League, which they they, they look pretty good to do so. Um, if not, my bet's on a Europa League win. Yeah, of course. I mean, that, that one's a guarantee, I think, every other year. They might they just want to do it just to show that they can do it. One thing I wanted to add, sorry, was, you know, Haaland's men- mentality... He seems sometimes when he gets a bit angry, he seems really possessed to actually take every everything on his own shoulders. And I don't know if if you guys saw um, how much how you know the the taunts he was doing to Bonu, uh, or, uh, Bonu. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was hilarious, but at the yeah. same time, uh, the way the way like he's got so much conviction no, on his face he... that it actually makes me feel like actually, you know what? If there is anybody who's gonna become great. It will be Haaland. Haaland has a lot of confidence and putting loads of numbers behind it as well. And he looks scary. He looks scary. Yeah, he does. I mean, like it's it's. It, I think he's just showing you don't mess with me, isn't he? Because the the keeper taunted him first, and then he's like, well, if the keeper's going to do that, and I'm going to score against him, I'm not just going to leave it be. I'm going to show him who's boss. And that shot of the um, the Sevilla players chasing him after he scored the penalty was hilarious. Like, I, I think that's one of those things about uh, Haaland. You know, um, you're gonna you're gonna see a big game player and a big moment and big personality. For many years to come. So yeah, it's a good thing to highlight that one down. But let's move into Wednesday's games. Of course, we will start with the PSG Barcelona match. I don't think anyone in the world, unless maybe those incredibly optimistic Barcelona fans who still got like the naivety of football supporting in there, uh, thought that they could make the comeback. 1-1 on the night was obviously not what Barcelona hoped. But do you guys think that there's a hope for them for the future? Like the, the performance that they put on, they dominated the game, I would say. And you know, they they had the chances to go through in the end, really, mm-hmm. even though they only scored the one goal. Is this an encouraging sign for Barcelona fans to believe in Ronald Koeman and, more importantly, for Messi to believe in the team? Because, of course, uh, you know, it's no secret he wanted out in the summer. Like, is, is that the type of home that goes, OK, hold on, we might be building something and there's a lot of young players. Should I stick around? 
Um, it's a stop. It's a stop, but it's nothing significant if you ask me. Um, you know, at the end of the day, they still lost five two on aggregate. You know, they got embarrassed at home, and you know, PSG. Yes, they dominated the game against them, but PSG didn't like they had zero motivation to attack or zero need to attack. So it's easy to you know, you know, mo- dominate the ball when your opposition literally doesn't even have to score. Um, so yes, it's encouraging. You know, at least they didn't get embarrassed away. But there's still such a long road, you know, to go uh, for Barcelona. Uh, you know, they've got a new president back. Uh, you know, the same president that they had um, back with, in with all the success. Their most successful, yeah. You know, when they had the, uh, you know, when they won the six trophies, it, it's it's probably it. You know, it's a good sign that Messi might might stay. You know, he's, you know, shout out his unbelievable finish on the night itself, which was more of a Cristiano Ronaldo goal rather than a Lionel Messi goal. Amazing. The same. What about his penalty, guys? What about Messi? Yeah, penalty? I mean, I said it. I was watching the game. I was watching the game with Jaffer, and I said, "Yeah, I said it." You know, as soon as the penalty was given, I said Messi will miss the guy. As much as I love him, as much as I think he's the greatest of all time, he's just not a good penalty taker in high pressure situations. I mean, what more can you say? You give that penalty to Cristiano Ronaldo, he's scoring it twelve times out of ten. It's just, it's just not his forte. And you know, maybe a better player. Uh, for those situations was was Griezmann because you know if you remember in the World Cup final he scored I was surprised you know but Messi's the captain he has to take it but honestly I, I really feel like he should be off penalty duties in general as much he's actually improved at them to be fair but you know in those situations I just never trusted him yeah me neither and interesting enough you know Messi voted for Laporta to uh, in the presidential um, elections so it'll be interesting to see if he if he stays on even after this Champions League exit. Uh, but yeah, I agree with uh, uh, Karama. I, I would have probably put Griezmann on. I mean, I don't know about he's the captain and he needs to take it. Just put the best penalty taker. I don't like all this. Um, oh, you know, we we'll have a rotation or there's one designated pro- uh, penalty taker. I think whoever's do- doing the best in terms of that week for for penalty taking should be taking it. A form form is everything. There's also a dynamic, I think, where Messi gets a lot of heat because of the lack of leadership that he shows on the pitch in terms of vocally and body language. So I think if he also decides not to take the penalties, people are like, oh, look at this guy. He's got no leadership qualities. He doesn't even want to step up in the big moments. Like, he's just hiding while the other players take it. So I think he's like... Because Messi's the type of guy like, I'll let my football do the talking. So the penalty will be his leadership moment. Whereas egging his players on, like shouting at them, telling someone to cover that winger when he's, you know, tracking back. He's not that guy, is he? So he's got to be showing those leadership moments. And... It can work for him and against him because when when it comes up and he's the one who does the you know wins the game, which happens so much in the league, you're like, yeah, Messi's leading the team. He's he's dragging them by the heels. He's carrying them. But in the in the Champions League, you know, it's, it's a lot harder to do, a lot harder to do, to do something like that. Him missing the penalty, I feel like that was what everyone's first thought when they saw it. And obviously, Kilo Navas is a fantastic goalkeeper. I mean, I would back Kilo Navas against a lot of strikers to save the penalty. He's he's such an underappreciated keeper. And, um, you know, in recent years, even going to Real Madrid and winning all those trophies, and you don't really hear his name mentioned a lot in the in the great goalkeeper discussions. But um, I, I do think for them, you had a, a valid point of what you said about a lot of the good of Barcelona's performance was probably uh, facilitated by PSG thinking, you know, we're we're absolutely fine. Let them come at us. And someone like lads, how good is Marquinhos? That guy is one of the best centre backs ever in terms of shutting up shop, getting the blocks in, being there all the time for clearances. A little bit of a, a Pepe light performance, uh, shall I say, like uh, on, on the night. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, his block was absolutely amazing. Uh, but, you know, Barcelona really, like as good as PSG were and the fact they didn't need to defend, uh, they didn't need to attack, sorry. They didn't actually defend that well, I thought. I mean, 
there was plenty of moments where if Barcelona were slightly more clinical or you know slightly more composed, they could have um, uh, scored more. I think that penalty that they conceded deflated them as well. I feel like had they not conceded first, they would have had more of a chance. You know that this team is still like there's still elements of fragility in terms of their mental, uh, you know, uh, like strength. And I don't know what you guys made of that penalty. I thought it was quite harsh, but it, it felt it felt like that was the final nail in the coffin of that tie. You know, people were hoping for a comeback. They weren't really predicting one. But as soon as that penalty went yeah. in, it was over. Well, well, the um, the Barcelona penalty apparently should have been retaken on the basis of encroachment by um, by Verratti because he was in the D, wasn't he, when, when Messi was stepping up to take it. And apparently that's not allowed. So th- there's your first controversy. And in, in the, in the other one, um, you know, the PSG penalty, right? I think there needs to be a clarification. Like a, a rule has to come out and say, if there's contact in the box, that is it a foul regardless, or does it have to affect a potential play? Because that guy clipping uh, Icardi accidentally made no difference to that play. The keeper had already caught it; there was no danger, you know. So he, people would have been like, if not, if that was never called for a penalty, I don't even think anybody would have looked back at it. Really. Yeah, but Jaffa, if you look at who 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 was who was the referee that day? Do you know or not? The referee for the Boston game, Anthony Taylor. Yeah, Anthony Taylor, right now. You look what's going on with the controversy in, with the English referees right now. Mike Deed and, you know, he's getting threatened and, you know, some big referees have been getting pulled out of big games. I'm not surprised that he made a boo-boo like that. You know, like people talk about VAR ruining the game. Personally speaking, I think the referees have just got a lot dumber, a lot thicker, and they're just making stupid errors. Well, actually, like uh, I'm not even talking about VAR. I'm talking about the actual rule. Like the, the, I know, the but like... Yeah. like like, if it wasn't for Navas, PSG pretty much bottled that game, in my opinion. Barcelona played well, yeah, you know, um, PSG just needed to defend, but Barcelona played well. They had like so many shots on target, yeah. they were play, playing balls in the box, great football, but like, like a decision like that ruins a game. Yeah, so not only that, there was the encroachment that uh, Ali, uh, that Jaffa mentioned earlier. Um, that should have been retaken. But there's also, how come that Longley got a yellow card for his penalty? But Kazawa, who deliberately, I wouldn't say deliberately, but his action stopped a threat, like a threatening moment in the box, didn't lead to a second yellow. It was um, it was quite a bizarre refereeing performance. Well, well, in the Premier League, let's, let's be realistic, that's not bizarre. But if you're, you're in European football and in Champions League, like Manchester United, which are in a Europe League, nobody gives a stuff about them. You know, it's a bit better, but when you get English referee, you don't know what you're going to ha- have, man. Let's be honest. We see on a weekly basis screwing teams left, right and centre, man. Well, one guy that I haven't mentioned who played a very key role in, in the, the outcome of the match was um, Usman Dembele, who was getting into positions like uh, prime Ronaldo Nazario, but finishing them like uh, prime Joe Linton. Uh, you know, his, <laughs> prime his finishing was very costly, I think. I feel like you're implying <laughs> Joe Linton has a prime. <laughs> we're, seeing, we're seeing it right now. I, I'm really scared for his decline because once he passes his prime, that's going to be ugly scenes. But <laughs> He's going to score the, uh, goals for the, for the other yeah. team, basically. Well, as long as he's scoring... But do you guys happy. think that... Is there, is there an argument to, uh, argument to be made that Dembele potentially may not necessarily live up to the hype uh, for two reasons, really? One is his lack of ability to consistently stay fit. And then two, his lack of ability to actually be consistent. Like, he'll go through matches where he's, he's really incredible, he's, he's scoring scorchers, but they always tend to be against the smaller side. Is, is he like a big game player that Barcelona can rely on? They can't rely on him, man. They can't, man. Look, I've seen it with my own eyes where he screwed up many opportunities against Liverpool a couple of years ago. Messi and Suarez are fucking fuming. Like, I've, I've seen it enough. When he's a Dortmund quality player, 
but he wasn't brought in for the goals. He was brought in for the assists. Let's be honest. Like in the last season, it was it was about like seven goals and sixteen assists. You know, and Barcelona brought in the wrong player because they were looking to replace Neymar. If they thought Dembele was going to replace Neymar's goals, you know, it, it's a bit crazy. If you want to someone to create chances, then yeah, fair I'm enough. I'm going to have to disagree with you. I think he was played in the wrong position because of, you know, the complete mismanagement of Barcelona, the football club. He is not the striker. He shouldn't be starting in the number nine position. I feel like if you look at his potential as a winger to create those um, assists for the striker, then his potential is still as high as ever. And you also have to remember that his inability to stay fit is probably the biggest asterisk around him right now. Um, his ability, you know, speaks for himself. Every time he comes back, he doesn't even look like he needs that many, you know, that huge run of games to get back to where he was. He always looks like he picks up where he left off. I think he's a very impressive player, and I'm like, I really like him a lot. But he's he's just yeah, it's, he shouldn't have played striker. He's not a striker. His finishing is is really terrible. And it, you know, they can bring him in to replace Neymar, and him not to not quite as good as Neymar. Still, I mean, you know, Neymar is arguably the top, you know, the best player in the world right now. You know, maybe just a shade behind Lewandowski. But I think, would you guys say that the fact that he's missed so many games, his development is a bit stunted, like in terms of his mental attributes, because he hasn't been on the pitch enough, he hasn't developed, and maybe he's a couple of years behind where he should be? Yeah, it's def- definitely a consideration. Uh, it's actually a really good point I didn't even think about. But the, I mean, the end result for, for Barcelona is a Champions League exit before the quarterfinal stage for the first time in a long, long time. And there, there was a very notable stat, which uh, has got a lot of football fans talking that neither Ronaldo nor Messi will be in the Champions League quarterfinals since uh, 2005. Now, another club who've got Champions League history from 2005 is Liverpool. And although they're going really, really terribly in the league at the moment, can't seem to buy a goal at home, can't seem to buy a win at home. And you know, it's well documented the reasons why. But, you know, the Champions League can sometimes provide a really welcome distraction for teams who are struggling domestically. And they made light work of the Leipzig tie, which when when the tie was drawn, I thought it was potentially tricky. We we had a little bit of debate amongst ourselves that Leipzig could potentially win it. But in the end, uh, Liverpool were comfortable winners. Ali, obviously, you're the Liverpool fan. So, you know, just give us your general thoughts on the tie against Leipzig. And also, how, how do you think that Liverpool will do in the Champions League in general? Not Phillips, right? What a fucking crazy defender, man. He just put his head through everything. He was basically doing what Pepe was doing for Porto. Like, I can't remember who's giving man of the match right now, but he was. He should have been giving man of the match, man. It was an outstanding performance. Fabinho played in his number six position, which he did. He did. You know, Thiago got a bit more forward. You know, got balls in the Salah. You know, he got he got one in the bar like to Salah where he like basically karate kicked it like he used Thiago Santos fighting in the MMA world <laughs> right now. I was thinking, what the fuck's going on here? And Liverpool they dominated that game. You know, like from start to finish. And like the previous leg, Mane and Salah scored yet again. For some reason, whenever Salah scores, Mane's like, okay, I'm gonna score. I don't know what the heck's up with that, but that's a bit weird. Um. Upa Makano reminds me of Sako. I didn't mention that in the group chat because he has amazing dribbling ability. He's a good tackler, but he's always going to make a mistake. That's something which I actually watch over these two legs. And I don't know how Manchester United... Like, it's no disrespect to Manchester United here. I don't know how Manchester United conceded three goals against Leipzig. They were pretty bad. Do you guys actually think that... Um, Liverpool were dominating. I, I, I genuinely thought up to about 60 minutes, Leipzig were piling on most of the pressure. They had 60% possession. They had the most shots, um, com- well, apart from the most shots on target, 
Like you could talk about RB Leipzig dominating possession or whatnot. Yeah, they had their chances. They had a few chances. You know, one hit the bar, but I don't really see much. They making making the claim that they were dominating. Liverpool did they, dominate. Do- in the latter half of the second half, they they the stride. Uh, they got the, into the strike. What you on about? Liverpool came all guns blazing within the first twenty seconds. Like, what game were you watching? What do you guys think? I mean, I think Liverpool set up. You know, they did their their research. Leipzig is a team that likes to um, you know play on the counter, play fast football, and Liverpool just nullified them throughout the entire tie. Really, yeah, Leipzig had a lot of shots, but Liverpool created the better chances. I thought. You know, I didn't really watch the game, but from the highlights that I saw. And really, it was just a mature performance by a team that has more experience in the Champions League. They have a manager who has more experience, you know, in general. And they just have the better players. I think Leipzig offered a threat, but ultimately, they really didn't do much to threaten Liverpool. I mean, they didn't even score throughout the entire tie, did they? So, really, you can't say that Leipzig dominated when they didn't really threaten at any point in the two games to, to you know, amount a challenge. Kadama, can I just quickly make this point here, right? Dowd was saying Leipzig to dom- dominate, right? Okay. I'm looking at stats right now. Liverpool had 40% possession, Leipzig had 60. Liverpool had 12 shots, 7 on target, whilst Leipzig had 11 shots, 2 on target. Liverpool had 5 corners, Leipzig had 1. So you tell me, Dowd, what do you mean in dominating the game? Do you mean by possession, p- possession based or be more clinical with the opportunities or Go on, can you like explain it to me? I felt like uh, when... It doesn't matter what you think, right? Because <laughs> at the end of the day, Liverpool won. Leipzig on like the trap. And it looks like there's some there's some good omens for Liverpool. Um, can they win a Champions League? Maybe. But I haven't got well, my hopes Klopp up himself, uh, you Klopp never himself know. said that the type of season that we're having, you know, it's, it's not the type of season where the team expects to win the Champions League. So I think he's setting, he's setting expectations, though, and I think that's the right move. Now, we'll see for, you know, a lot of these predictions can be made easier by seeing who they get in the next round. So looking forward to the remaining ties that we will discuss on the next episode. Um, thanks a lot, as always, lads, for joining us. And uh, well done to Kodama for getting an answer correct on the trivia. We'll see if it's uh, Ali's turn next week. And that would, as always, and I'm sure the listeners probably turn off the podcast at this point, but please let us know where we can follow the you know, the podcast everywhere. Yeah, um, so this is our 20th episode, and uh, I think we've done about five COVID secure episodes now. Um, as always, you can uh, follow us on the Facebook group, The Dressing Room, to find out whenever we post new episodes first. We've also got the YouTube channel, The Dressing Room, where we post video formats of the dressing room not actual video video of us talking though not yet anyways um and uh, email us on the dressing room nine at gmail.com and yeah we're available on all podcast hosting platforms like spotify google Podcasts, and apple podcast so yeah thank you guys again thanks for this week and thanks ali for for having my life <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome Bye. take care lads see you